407, uh, what is your condition? I don't know. Someone just hit my car. I don't know how to explain it. Strange. Are you, uh, what's your condition? Are you okay? What you're listening to is an actual police radio call that occurred around 2 a.m. on the night of August 27th of 1979. The call was for a 1088, which if you're an average guy like me and you're not really familiar with police code or you don't really understand it, it means officer needs help. And it was made by a Marshall County Sheriff's deputy by the name of Val Johnson. At the time that this call was being made, Deputy Johnson was just regaining consciousness in the driver's seat of his patrol car after being unconscious for about 39 to 40 minutes. Among other strange things he was beginning to realize, one of the first was that the clock on his vehicle's dashboard, along with his wristwatch, were about 14 minutes behind. What had occurred just before Val Johnson lost consciousness that night was something that he and investigators still can't fully explain to this day. It was an experience that some might consider out of this world that would later go down as one of the most credible UFO encounters in history. It was classified by experts as a close encounter of the second kind. It is also a case that would become known worldwide as the Val Johnson Incident. To this day, many still can't quite explain what exactly happened, and to be honest, I'm not sure anybody ever will. From the North Star State, and the land of 10,000 lakes. From my neck of the woods, in the heart of the Midwest. This is Minnesota Mysteries, and I'm your host, Sang Pang Duong Det. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the Val Johnson incident, an out-of-this-world experience by a sheriff's deputy from Marshall County, Minnesota. But before we get into that, I just wanted to say hey, and welcome all of you to Minnesota Mysteries. It is great to have you here tuning in for one of many mysteries from the land of 10,000 lakes. My goal with this show is to bring you all sorts of mysteries from the place that I call home. These mysteries will vary from things in the realm of the strange, dark, and unexplained to mysteries that we can't quite put our finger on, like who stole those ruby slippers? And how on earth did a small town in Minnesota end up becoming the Halloween capital of the world? I mean, we might even try to figure out what the deal is with LaCroix, if we're being honest. I myself am a huge fan of a good mystery. I love stories. I also love talking about the supernatural, true crime, and the paranormal. I've also been a paranormal investigator since 2007, and, and who knows, maybe we will even have a chance to share some of my own personal stories along the way. Uh, I also have an email set up 
for my listeners to share stories of their own. It's simple. It's just Minnesota Mysteries Podcast at gmail.com. If you have something that you would like to see aired on the show, just shoot me a line and I'll do my best to make it happen. The show is also on social media. If you just plug in the name of this podcast, I'm sure you'll find it. Speaking of plugs, the show is also on the social audio app called Swell. That's Swell. S-W-E-L-L. And the reason that I bring this up is because I'm inviting you to join in on the conversation there. Swell is like Instagram, but for all of your beautiful voices. Whenever I post a new episode, you'll be able to find it just about anywhere. But on Swell, you can leave a voice comment that I will interact with and respond to. If you find something interesting or you just want to say hi, all you have to do is download the Swell app, subscribe to Minnesota Mysteries, and hit record. All right. I suppose you're ready to just dive into tonight's mystery, the Val Johnson incident. Well, we'll get into that in just a moment, but first, a quick break. In a world engulfed by shadows and shrouded in mystery, where the boundaries of the known and the unknown blur, comes a podcast that dares to explore the depths of the uncharted. Welcome to the Phantom Files, a journey into the enigmas that lie beneath the surface of our reality. Each episode, we will take you on a captivating voyage through time and space as we delve into the annals of history, unearthing forgotten secrets, and breathing life into the legends that have mystified generations. From the mysteries of the Bermuda Triangle to the perplexing enigma of UFOs, we will leave no stone unturned and no puzzle unsolved. Prepare to be captivated by tales of cryptids and monstrous creatures that have fascinated the world for centuries. From the elusive werewolf to the legendary Wendigo lurking in the deep forests. But it's not just about the stories. The Phantom Files will challenge your perception of reality, bringing a rigorous research, scientific analysis, and thought-provoking examination that will stretch the boundaries of what you thought was possible. Subscribe now to The Phantom Files and unlock the gateway to a world of wonder, mystery, and the hidden knowledge that lie beneath. The Phantom Files, examining the unexplained. Hey, welcome back. I'm Sang, and you're listening to Minnesota Mysteries. Do you believe in the existence of intelligent life outside of our world? When you look up at a clear night sky, into all of that abyss of stars and void, do you ever think about the possibility of visitors from somewhere far away coming to Earth? I do. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I think it's 
entirely foolish for any of us to think while looking up into the cosmos, a place of infinite possibility, that we are the only ones out here. The only ones who have ever been out here, or the only ones who ever will be out here. As a kid growing up in the 90s, with the X-Files, I was terrified at the idea of UFOs and extraterrestrial beings. If I even heard the theme song come on, I would run for my room every single time. But the more I grew, the more that fear shifted over to curiosity. Eventually, that curiosity became this hunger to know more, to know as much as I possibly could. Now don't get me wrong, it still kind of freaks the hell out of me. I'm just also very curious about it too. Anyway. The year is 1979. Marshall County Sheriff's Deputy Val Johnson is working late. He's out on patrol somewhere just after 1am, driving the rural back roads of Marshall County, somewhere near Stephen, Minnesota. Now, this area that I'm talking about is located in northwestern Minnesota. But by, by that I mean north-northwestern Minnesota. It's actually about 35 to 40 minutes northeast of Grand Forks, North Dakota. And it's honestly just a little over an hour away from the Canadian border. As you can just about imagine, I'm sure it was a cool late summer night. If he had the radio on, there's a great chance that songs like Ring My Bell by Anita Ward, you all know how that goes, The Main Event by Barbara Streisand, or I Was Made for Loving You by Kiss were probably on. Just take a moment to think about that. And Val Johnson is just driving along through the night, west along County Highway 5, when he takes a left turn onto State Highway 220, heading southbound, and it's then that he spots a bright ball of light along the tree line, just in the distance. I was on routine patrol and I came up to this intersection and I looked south and I uh, saw a bright light just over the center of the roadway. Now, from where he first spots this light at the beginning of his turn on a 220, Johnson would later estimate his distance from his squad car to whatever this object was to be about three miles. Now, you've got to understand that this is a route that he's driven several times, so it only makes sense that he would know this information enough to determine that distance between he and the object near a tree line that I'm sure he's seen several times. And this light, off in the distance, sort of captures Val's curiosity. The light itself seemed to be just off of the ground a few feet. Even more so, it's only a single light. My first impression was that maybe it was a semi with uh, one headlight broken out. And then it dawned on me that the light was too big around and too intense for an ordinary headlight. Maybe someone was having vehicle troubles, or someone just needed help. Another guess Johnson had about the object was that it was possibly some sort of aircraft, like a, a small plane, attempting to make an emergency landing. And it is because of this that he decided to investigate the situation, 
and continues to drive his vehicle down to 20 to see if someone might be down there a little ways, possibly just waiting for assistance. It is, after all, a time in which those cell phones existed. They had only recently been invented, maybe about six years earlier, in 1973. And even then, they weren't really carried by most people until almost 20 years later in the late 90s or the early 2000s. So it wasn't uncommon for someone, especially somebody in law enforcement, to poke around and see if somebody needs some help. So Johnson continues heading in the direction for about a mile or so, when the source of the mysterious light that he's witnessing seems to, in a way, notice his presence. And in response, starts to accelerate toward him at a great speed. And in a matter of seconds, this bright ball of light was upon his vehicle. Val would even say, from what he could remember, that he thought he could recall this strange ball of light being inside of his vehicle as well. The light was coming at me, it was extremely bright, the inside of the car lit up, I can remember that. And uh, it was a very dazzling, brilliant occurrence. Something did strike my vehicle. Uh, something didn't want me there, apparently, or it was, you know, I, I can't put a judgment on it. Uh, I really don't know how to classify it. I, don't, I can't classify it as an attack. Perhaps it was an escape. After that, everything went black, and Deputy Val Johnson was unconscious. In fact, Val Johnson was unconscious for nearly 40 minutes before eventually coming to in a state of shock and confusion. And that's when the distress call went out, the 1088, an officer needs help, that I played at the beginning of the episode. Here, I'll play it one more time. 407, uh, what is your condition? I don't know. Someone just hit my car. Are you, uh, what's your condition? Are you okay? Something attacked my car. I heard the glass breaking and the locks, the brake, brakes locked up. I don't know what they were. 10-4, I'll get a hold of 406 Steven and send him on his way. When the ambulance arrived, Val was rushed to a nearby hospital and examined for any possible injuries. He would complain about pain that he was experiencing in and around his eyes, and would also describe the sensation as burns that one might get or experience after arc welding. What medical experts, both a doctor and an eye specialist, would confirm shortly after was that Johnson was in fact experiencing welder or flash burns to both of his eyes. It was deemed to be a mild case, but also known to be especially painful. Some of his teeth were also found to be fractured along the gum line in his mouth. Despite this, it would appear that Val would not experience any of that kind of pain or swelling that would have been typical for this type of injury. One examiner would even describe this type of injury to his face like being hit by a 400-pound pillow. A very interesting detail to add as well would be that Val Johnson also suffered no bruising 
on any part of the outside of his face as well that would indicate that he had been physically struck by anything at all. Johnson would be treated for his injuries and would make a pretty quick recovery. In fact, in as few as six to eight hours, he was starting to feel relief around his eyes. Of course, an incident as serious as this would require a very thorough investigation, and authorities in charge were immediately on top of it. What they found would puzzle investigators to this day. Among the things that they discovered at the scene of the incident were apparent skid marks that would go on for about 100 feet on the road, and they would suggest that Deputy Johnson's vehicle, a 1977 Ford LTD squad car's brakes, had locked up, and then he had coasted for about 854 feet to the left after his initial impact with whatever this object was before coming to a complete stop sideways at a 90 degree angle on the road. Glass from the vehicle would also be found at the point of origin, in which he and investigators would believe was the spot, the exact spot, where his vehicle had initially been struck. And speaking of glass that was found on the roadside, a crash technician from the Ford Motor Company would also find four strange points of impact on the driver's side of the windshield that he would deem as extremely unusual. He would go on record saying that the crack patterns and apparent sequence of fractures seemed to be due to inward and outward forces acting almost simultaneously. The antennas at both the back and at the top of his vehicle were also bent at odd angles that puzzled investigators as well. One of his front headlights, as well as a hazard light, had been broken. There was also a dent on the hood of his vehicle from the impact. And like I had mentioned at the beginning of this episode, investigators had also found that both Val Johnson's wristwatch, as well as his vehicle's dash clock, had stopped at some point for about 14 minutes. But strangely enough, there was no evidence of any kind of radiation that was left behind in the area of the incident or on the vehicle itself. Even more so, investigators would go on to conclude that there was absolutely no evidence at all to indicate that Deputy Val Johnson had manufactured any part of what had happened to him. In short, there's no evidence to show that any of this was staged. This case would draw attention from several agencies for investigation. Aside from local law enforcement, the Air Force, as well as the Federal Aviation Agency, would carry out investigations of their own. A metal engineer from Honeywell would also stop out to do tests on the vehicle himself, and the Center of UFO Studies out of Evanston, Illinois, also came out to investigate as well. In fact, the case itself, which would be known worldwide as the Val Johnson Incident, gained so much national attention that Val Johnson and his wife were invited to a taping of Good Morning America only about six months after the incident to speak about what had happened on live television for the entire country. This is Deputy Val Johnson and his wife, Roseanne, everybody. 
since that incredible experience that has shocked us all, have you had any other experiences, any, any other close encounters? No, sir, no. Had you had any before this? No, no, this is the uh, first one. Well, how has it changed your life? Well, it's, uh, it's uh, brought our family unit, unit closer together. Uh, we... Because it scared everybody so much, you mean? Well, there was a lot of people confused about it and a lot of uh, unusual stories that came out about it. Uh, but uh, it's uh, brought us closer together as a family unit. Was it a religious experience for you? Many times the, these events are, are a religious experience. Upon reflection afterwards, it's been about six months now, upon reflection, uh, we've kind of come to the uh, conclusion that uh, perhaps the Creator has made other things that we can't readily see or readily identify, and perhaps this is one of the things we encountered. Since this all happened back in 1979, Val Johnson and his family moved away from Marshall County over the years and have settled down in Wisconsin. The attention that his experience had gained him ultimately became this burden for he and his family. His wife would eventually say in an interview with the Star Tribune that the encounter had completely disrupted their family's organization of normal, everyday routines. She would also she would also admit that at several points in time, their phone never seemed to quit ringing from people who wanted to contact Val about his experience. And it is because of that that I, I have honestly chosen to leave out any details that I know about their current whereabouts. Now, if you're curious about Val Johnson's patrol car, it is still around. The Marshall County Historical Society Museum has it on display to this day, and you can visit it whenever you want to see it for yourself. And I guess that's where you come in. What do you think happened to Deputy Val Johnson that night on State Highway 220? Do you think he experienced travelers from another world? Do you think maybe he saw something he wasn't supposed to see? Or is there a much more simple answer than that? Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of Minnesota Mysteries. I really appreciate you stopping by. This show is a passion project of mine and was written, edited, and produced by me, with additional help on social media from, well, me as well. Special thanks to Harley Poe for our show's intro theme, Scream Acres, as well as other music. If you would like to support the show and to help it thrive, you can do so in a number of ways. The most important is a rating or a review on your favorite podcatcher. Or you can also support the show by liking, subscribing, and sharing your favorite episodes with your friends and family on social media. Every bit helps. You can also check out the show on Swell, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you'd like to become a part of the conversation. I plan on responding to as many of you as possible. So hop on Swell and let's talk about it. Anyway, that is enough of this Minnesota goodbye. Tune in next time for more stories from the land of 10,000 lakes and mysteries. I'm Sang, your host, and I'm signing off until next time. Good night. <laughs>